the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. You know, Jesus, he, he offers us forgiveness of our sins. He offers us reconciliation to God. He offers us eternal life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a free gift. You don't, that means you don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it by, by, being, you know, by your good deeds. It's free. It's a free gift. But you have, to, you have to receive that gift. And how do you receive that gift? By repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In today's message, Pastor Dan will remind you that God is patient and long-suffering. He's always waiting for the day that you decide to confess and repent of your sins. He's waiting for you to come to Him. He waits with open arms. Pastor Dan will also remind you that there aren't categories to sin. There's no not-that-bad, moderate, or unforgivable groups to our sin. No matter the choices you've made in life, you can always do a complete 180-degree turn and begin your journey with the Lord. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 15, for today's edition of Ring of Truth. spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. They ignored God's warnings. And then it says in verse 11, Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria. Remember, the Assyria is the superpower before the Babylonians. And the Babylonians conquer the Assyrians and the Babylonians become the superpower. The Assyrians destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel and took the northern kingdom captive into Assyria. So again, verse 11, therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh, it says, with hooks. Uh, and the idea there is with hooks through the nose. And they, they ran like a big fish hook through his nose, attached to a chain. And they marched him back, it says, to Babylon, to the land of Babylon, which was part of the Assyrian Empire at this point. Now look at verse 12. Now when he was in affliction, look what it says. He implored the Lord, Jehovah, his God. And he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed to him. And God received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord Jehovah 
was God. And after this, Manasseh built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gihon, the Gihon Spring, in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate, and it enclosed Ophel, and he raised it to a very great height. Then he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. Look what it says in verse 15. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord. He's the one who put those foreign gods in the land and in the house of the Lord. Now he takes them away. And all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. And he cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings, which represented having peace with God, and thank offerings, thankfulness to God, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord Jehovah, God of Israel. Verse 17, nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on the high places, but only to the Lord their God. It we're told here, if you look back in verse 12, when he was in affliction or when he was in deep distress in a prison in the Assyrian Empire, in the land of Babylon, we're told Manasseh finally broke. He humbled himself. He called upon the Lord and he repented of his sins and God forgave him. God forgave him. The most wicked ungodly king in the history of Judah repented in a jail cell and God forgave him and restored him back into the kingdom. This is, I mean, this is such a picture of God's amazing redemption here that God would forgive a guy like this and God would restore this guy. You know, the Bible says whosoever can come to God, Through Jesus Christ. Whosoever. It doesn't matter who that person is. It doesn't matter how wicked that person is. It doesn't matter how wicked or evil that person's sins are. God will forgive them. It doesn't matter if if they repent in a jail cell. God will forgive them. And sometimes you hear people, that's their objection. Well, it's a a jailhouse conversion. Right? Of course... Of course, he gets religion when he's in jail. You know, it's kind of like a deathbed conversion. Well, of course, he's about to die. Of course, he's going he's gonna to pray to receive Christ now. He's about to die. It doesn't matter to God. It doesn't matter to God. We see here with this guy, he's in a jail cell. He's the most wicked king in Judah's history, just completely evil and vile. And he has completely corrupted the nation. And when he humbles himself and repents and calls upon God, God hears him and God forgives him. What what does it say? A broken and contrite heart. He will in no way refuse. And it doesn't matter whose heart it is, right? Doesn't matter who the person is. If they've got a broken and contrite heart over their sin, God will receive them. You know, Jesus died on the cross to save sinners from sin, he came to, to save the ungodly. And, and there's no limit on his ability to save. There's no limit on the power of his sacrifice to forgive sins. It's not like he can only forgive certain sins, but then there's this one category of really, really bad sins. And the blood of Jesus Christ can't forgive those sins. 
There's no limit to the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. You see that with the story of Manasseh. That God forgives Manasseh. He forgives the Manassehs of the world. Doesn't matter. Now what we see here though with Manasseh. Manasseh individually he repented. And he was forgiven of his sins. But his actions as king were carried on by the people. You know, there was, you know, he was, he was sowing and now there's reaping involved. And with the people, they carried on with the sin that, that was started by Manasseh. Manasseh repented, but the nation didn't repent. The people continued in the sin. And it's for this reason, we're told in Jeremiah 15, it's for this reason that the Lord will hand them over to Babylon, to the Babylonians. Because of of what the people continued to do that began with Manasseh. Look at verse 5 now, back in Jeremiah 15. For who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Or who will bemoan you? Or who will turn aside to ask how you're doing? You have forsaken me, says the Lord. You have gone backward. Therefore, I will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I am weary of relenting. Again, the Lord who is long suffering and patient and slow to anger. He says here, I have become weary of relenting. Or to put it another way, I am tired of always giving you another chance. Tired of it. God's reached his limit with him. He's reached his limit. You know, they, they abused God's grace. They took his grace for granted. They used it as a license to sin. And he says, hey, you, you've forsaken me. You've gone backwards. And I'm, and I'm tired of giving you another chance. Just tired of it. I'm not going to do it anymore. Again, there's, there's, there's a limit to it. He's not going to let us get away with just abusing his grace and his forgiveness. If we come to him with a humble and contrite heart. Yes, he forgives us. Absolutely. Every time. But he's not going to let us just kind of play him. And they're playing him. And he says, I'm I'm done with that. I'm not doing that anymore. Verse 7 says, And I will winnow them with a winnowing fan and the gates of the land. I will bereave them of children. I will destroy my people since, here's why, they do not return from their ways. Now he talks here about the the winnowing fan. A winnowing was the process of separating the wheat from the chaff. It's it's a picture in the Bible of God's judgment. Uh, In the New Testament, John the Baptist said of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, his, his winnowing fan is in his hand, meaning he's, he's ready to separate the wheat from the chaff. He's ready to judge. And God's judgment is always a separating. It's separating wheat from chaff. It's, it's separating goat from sheep. It's separating unclean fish from clean fish with the parable of the dragnet and so on. It's a, it's a separating his judgment, the separating process, it's separating the godly from the ungodly. And we see here a picture of God's judgment at the hands of the Babylonians. He's going he's to use the Babylonians as his winnowing 
fan. And what he's going to do is he's going to separate the children of Israel from the land. He's going to remove them from the land. Why? Because they did not return from their ways. They wouldn't repent. They wouldn't repent. Now, if they repent, he'll forgive them. But they won't repent. You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City, Maryland. We'll return to the second half of today's message in a moment. But first, here's a word from Pastor Dan. It's my privilege to share the Word of God with you through our radio ministry, Ring of Truth. Thank you for tuning in each day. Hey, I would love to hear from you. Will you take a moment to email me to tell me how these daily studies have ministered to you? I want to hear your story. You can email me through our website at calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. Now let's join him again for the conclusion of today's edition of Ring of Truth. You know, Jesus, he, he, he offers us forgiveness of our sins. He offers us reconciliation to God. He offers us eternal life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a free gift. You don't, that means you don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it by, by, being, you know, by your good deeds. It's free. It's a free gift. But you have, to, you have to receive that gift. And how do you receive that gift? By repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then you receive the gift. If a person refuses... If they refuse to repent and receive Jesus Christ, then they don't receive the gift. And here, the the people of Judah, they wouldn't return from their ways. So they'll be destroyed instead of saved. Their widows, verse 8, will be increased to me more than the sand of the seas. I will bring against them, against the mother of the young men, a plunderer at noonday. Now, normally when an army attacked, they would attack at nighttime to have the cover of darkness. But the Babylonians are so powerful, they're, they're going to attack in the middle of the day. They don't, they don't need the cover of darkness. I will cause anguish and terror to fall on them suddenly. She languishes. Look what it says in verse 9. She languishes who has borne seven. Now, in the Hebrew here, it's in the masculine. It's talking about seven sons. She languishes who has borne seven sons. She has breathed her last. Her son, S-U-N, has gone down while it was yet day. She has been ashamed and confounded. And the remnant of them I will deliver to the sword before their enemies, says the Lord. She, she languishes who has borne Seven sons. Now, in, in that culture at that time, having a son was considered a greater blessing than having a daughter. Uh, and the reason being is your sons stayed home. Your sons stayed. Uh, they would stay and help out with the family business or the family farm. Uh, if they got married, they would bring their wife to come and live in their parents' house. In my father's house, there are many rooms, right? I go to prepare a place for you. And I'll come receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Even still today in Arab culture, uh, when a uh, son gets married, he brings his wife to come live in his father's house. 
and he lives, the wife lives with her husband's family. So sons stay, daughters leave and go to live with the family of their husband. And so sons were just considered a a greater blessing because they stay with the family. They help out with the family. They take care of the parents when they're elderly and that kind of thing. The, the, the daughter will go and live with the husband's family. So a woman with seven sons was considered, you know, just super, super blessed. But when the Babylonians come and her seven sons are killed in battle, or her seven sons are carried away as slaves, well, that, that blessing is going to be a great heartbreak. She's going to languish with grief over her seven sons. You know, during World War II, uh, there were the five Sullivan brothers. And maybe you've heard of the five Sullivan brothers, known as the Fighting Sullivan Brothers. They were five brothers that uh, joined the U.S. Navy to fight in World War II. And they, all five of them were assigned to the same ship, uh, the USS Juno. And a Japanese submarine sank their ship. And all five of the Sullivan brothers died on that ship. And so, you know, with that one attack and one day in the war, a family lost all five of their sons. And, and because of that, uh, the Department of Defense enacted a, a policy called the Sole Survivor Policy, which basically is a policy that if, if you have siblings fighting for our country during a time of war and the siblings are killed in action and there's only one surviving sibling, they take that sibling out of battle. So that sibling's not allowed to participate in the conflict so that a family doesn't lose all of their children or all of their sons in battle. And so then we actually have a, a law to prevent that from happening Again, if you remember the movie uh, Saving Private Ryan, that was, that was loosely based on this policy, this sole survivor policy, although it wasn't enacted until after World War II, uh, but it was enacted to prevent families from losing all of their sons, or nowadays sons and daughters, in, in battle. So here you have a woman, a mom, she's got seven sons, and she is considered blessed, super, super blessed. Seven sons, that's amazing. But when the Babylonians come, it's just going to be heartbreak for her. Now, beginning in verse 10, Jeremiah uh, shares some complaints here. (laughs) He says here, Woe is me, my mother, that you have borne me, a man of strife, and a man of contention to the whole earth. He says to his mother, I, I, wish, I wish I was never born. Because of all the strife and all the contention I've experienced. He says, I, I have neither lent for interest, nor have men lent to me for interest. And yet every one of them curses me. I, he, G, Jeremiah says, I'm, I'm hated by everyone. I'm hated everywhere I go. I wish I was never born. Remember, we saw in an earlier chapter, even those from his own hometown were plotting to kill him. People that knew him the best, they wanted to kill him. And he says here at the end of verse 10, I've I've neither lent for interest, nor have men lent to me for interest. 
Uh, and the idea here is, I haven't ripped anybody off. I haven't robbed anybody. I haven't wronged anyone. And yet, every one of them curses me. You blankety blank, 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 right? Why don't you just blankety blank, blank, blank? Everybody curses him. Why? Why was Jeremiah hated? He was hated, listen, he was hated for telling people the truth. He was hated for telling people the truth of God's word. And people didn't like the truth. They didn't want to hear the truth. You know, Jesus said to his disciples, a servant is not above his master. And he said to his disciples, they hated me, so they're going to hate you. And people in Jeremiah's day, they hated Jeremiah. They didn't want to hear the truth of God's word from him. They didn't want to be told that what they were doing was wrong in God's eyes. They didn't want to be told that unless they repent, they're going to be judged for what they're doing by God. They hated him for telling them that. And guess what? We live in a day where the truth is becoming more and more unpopular. And the truth of God's word is becoming intolerable to people. And people don't want to hear it anymore. And they don't want to be told the truth about themselves. They don't want to hear that what they're doing is sin. Or that there's a judgment. And God will judge them. And, that, and, and, and we live in a similar kind of day. Now that doesn't mean we should be silent. It doesn't mean we should not speak the truth when we're given the opportunity. Instead, it means we should pray for greater boldness. We should pray for greater boldness and bravery, especially as we see things uh, becoming more and more normalized and legalized in our country that God says is wrong, that's sin. We need to have boldness to speak the truth to people in love. Not with hatred, not with condemnation, but just telling people the truth of what God's word says in love. You know, in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 4, I'll just read it to you. You don't have to turn there. Um, but in Acts chapter 4, uh, there was an occasion where the disciples were, were preaching about Jesus and they were persecuted for preaching about Jesus. And this is what they prayed. Listen to their prayer. Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. They're getting threatened, and their prayer is, Lord, give us more boldness to speak your word. And that's, that should be our prayer and our day. Lord, help me, help me to let my light shine. I don't want to hide my light under a bushel basket. Help me to be bold for you. Let me just speak your truth when you give me that opportunity. I don't want to hide. I don't want to be silent when I should speak up. Uh, but, you know, Jeremiah did, and, and he was pretty unpopular for it. Look at verse 11. The Lord said, now watch what the Lord says to Jeremiah here. He says, surely it will be well with your remnant. Surely I will cause the enemy to intercede with you in the time of adversity and in the time of affliction. You know, everyone hates Jeremiah and God, God says to Jeremiah, basically, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. I'll, I'll be with you and I'll take care of you. What a promise from God. He asked me how I know and I 
When you look at the book of Jeremiah at a glance, it seems like the overarching theme is judgment and negative consequence. But as you take a closer look, you're given a microscopic lens into the heart of God. Yes, there was judgment and eventual exile. But think about how long-suffering and patient God was in giving them multiple chances to repent from their ways and separate from their sin. What an amazing and hopeful picture of God's heart toward you. He is just and fair in handing out consequences to those who willfully go against what he's offering. But like a patient parent, he gives grace and mercy when you vacillate between following him and venturing elsewhere. Ultimately, God wants you to choose him wholeheartedly, and he wants to bless you. Take the book of Jeremiah as a continual reminder that God is gracious and merciful but he'll bring judgment on those who refuse his ways. If you want to talk to someone and better understand what all of this means, don't hesitate to call us at 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. We're so glad you joined us today on Ring of Truth. Feel free to study this book on your own in the meantime. In our next edition, Pastor Dan will share more from the book of Jeremiah and provide a deeper understanding of how to apply it to your life here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that craft and what I know because I know his voice and it only takes Rings true.